15 years ago, we were doing account-based marketing as well. We just didn't call it account-based marketing. The techniques and how you go about it has evolved and become much more agile and there's more tools in the toolkit to use. But this premise of going after target accounts and also communicating broadly across segments is still something we all do today. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, this is Ledge. Welcome back. I've got another exciting episode today. I am welcoming Leela Gill to the show. Leela, would love to get your intro of yourself and your works for the audience that doesn't know you yet. Thanks for having me, Ledge. I'm a chief marketing officer for B2B SaaS companies and currently working for a healthcare tech company called One Health. But my history has been across fintech, retail tech, HR tech, and MarTech in addition to healthcare tech. So applying B2B SaaS principles across many verticals. So what are B2B SaaS principles then? We ought to just say there's obviously a nice Venn diagram with some stuff that happens all the time, and it's probably the 80%. Yeah. So I think one of the big differences, when I look at B2B versus B2C, that's the compare and contrast, right? So going after the consumer, it's a specialty in and of itself. A lot of marketing has to go into really targeting and going after some very specific personas, if you will, depending on what you're doing. The same actually applies in B2B, but I think you have to pull up a little bit more with B2B. We use techniques more like account-based marketing on top of a one-to-many strategy. Across B2B and B2C, the core elements of what are your narrative, what's your messaging, what's your brand all about, what's your brand promise, those are there across those two platforms. But I think for me, B2B is more about targeting buyer groups, for example, as opposed to B2C where you're targeting a person. Typically in B2B, there's multiple people involved in the group and there's different ways you have to get in and multi-thread the relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I live primarily at the bottom of the funnel, thanks to all you great marketers that bring us at least named humans who in some way or another, someone has declared that they are interested in something. And then we go, whoa, one-to-one. And we really you know, have to then nurture those one-to-one relationships. But I do find and believe that's absolutely true that like we might get someone to talk to that's only one of the persons who we then need to in effect positively influence to turn them into ultimately a client which might be nine plus months later depending on how big the ticket is for something like that yeah a huge appreciation for what you're talking about there and it's almost never the first person you get on a call if there is in fact a call and it's not just a self-service type of environment how do you feel about the interactions of sales and marketing everybody's always crowing about that you hear 
endless stories about how sales and marketing need to collaborate better, or maybe it should just be a revenue function or like, where do you come down on that whole thing? Yeah, I think my personal experience has been very collaborative. So I'm working with pre-IPO companies and I think the sales and marketing tension is, again, totally my opinion here, but is really an old school tension that's been out there and maybe in these legacy large corporations where the trend hasn't really migrated. But I think I'm involved in a lot of marketing communities, for example, and I never hear anybody talk about sales being the enemy. Marketers, everybody I work with, everybody I talk to, everybody understands we're all on the same team. We're trying to accomplish growth and it has to be done collaboratively. So from my perspective, I'm not really seeing that tension as much. I see a lot of collaboration happening within marketing and sales. And I think the two need to be partners at the table, not reporting one to the other. Sometimes they're having, because I think that both voices have equal value and serve different purposes. Ultimately, brand and demand is the marketing person's mantra, if you will, and the salespeople are trying to close deals and they need to be together, not driven by one or the other, if that makes sense. I do find that to be accurate to my experience as well. And even smaller companies, you have earned a prestigious MBA and many times you will find it in the business literature that I think we all chowed down on for many years from the HBR and all those things that there was this odd separation of just just doesn't come to bear now. And I wonder if the availability of data and essentially heavy information flow makes that a lot easier. Like I can appreciate where some of that logic may have come from and maybe thankfully things have changed enough. That's not the case anymore. And you actually can collaborate because you have real-time data of some sort or you have something relevant and it's not that hard to turn out a new sales enablement piece. Somebody needs to do it, right. but it isn't like that it needs to go to the printer and come back 30 days later and then go into direct mail. Yeah. Maybe we're all benefiting from that evolution. Yeah. I would say that when I'm thinking about the partnership between sales and marketing today, you hear sales and marketing both talking about pipeline. That is one of my metrics, right? I'm driving pipeline. And you don't do that by yourself. You do that collaboratively with, in partnership with the sales leader and the sales team. So I think the dashboards and the metrics and all of those tools that we have available to ourselves now, we're all starting to use the same data to measure ourselves as a company. So pipeline, deal velocity, customer acquisition cost, all those things are things that I talk about as well as the sales guys talk about obviously closed one rate is their big metric, but I care about that as, as well as a marketing leader. I want to figure out how to get that closed one rate up. What do we need to do to help in that regard? And so I always keep that perspective in place as a marketing leader. And we talked about some of those things have changed. It's evolved. What hasn't changed? You got, what do you have now? A good 20 years. And I know I do. And it's, what are the fundamentals there of B2B that you go, it doesn't matter what else is in play. These things have not changed. Like that's the rock. Those are always interesting too. That's a great question. I think from my perspective, this may be a little controversial when I say it, this whole terminology around account-based marketing, I believe account-based marketing was always there and it just got classified with a very good acronym that built 
itself into the lexicon of marketing and sales. And because for me, 15 years ago, we were doing account-based marketing as well. We just didn't call it account-based marketing. We were still targeting our, you still had this targeted list. The techniques and how you go about it has evolved and become much more agile. And there's more tools in the toolkit to use. But this premise of going after target accounts and also communicating broadly across segments is still something we all do today. We have that framework where we have a broad communication, newsletters, podcasts, videos, whatever we're using to create that brand messaging. And then we go more specific with a, an ABM approach, right? And try to target our marketing efforts to specific accounts. Yeah. What do they say? They, all the delays are things that just stick in your brain, right? So, yeah. You know, yeah. If you ever work with consulting, we like our three-letter acronyms. And, you know, <laughs> and of course, that if you don't keep renaming things, they don't become new. But ultimately, yeah, I think that's right. Like, how do people find out about us? What are we telling them when they do? And then how do the collective people that have no faces, voices, email address, whatever, like, how do I become then like, it's let's talking to Leela about a thing. And, you know, that no, fundamentally hasn't changed at all. We've learned how to do some things well at scale. And we've learned also how scaling things can ruin some of that stuff and just become totally impersonal and then get a whole bunch of backlash because now our brand is eroded and it's just the tools seem to cut both ways. And then it still comes down to one authentic conversation between a couple of humans. And we talked about that off mic is what's podcasting in the B2B context, except a reason that people say yes to talk to me. And I think that's good. Yeah. It's a great technique. Yeah. To strike up a conversation with the people you really want to get to know. Yeah. I strongly advise every company in the B2B space to be thinking about that if your ticket size is large, but I won't sell to anybody on on our podcast here. So I never do that. But But yeah. So talk about your journey because I, you were not just, or just a marketer, always a marketer. And you, you reference in your bio that I saw, you were a deal closer, you were an operator, you touched technology. It's just, what was that? And how did you end up then being like, oh, good, I'm a marketer. Yeah. Just like, tell the story there. Yeah. Coming from an HR tech company, there was a term that was thrown around a lot called having a jungle gym career, which I liked that because you didn't go up a ladder. A lot of people have different skill sets, completely different areas of expertise. In my case, I graduated with an engineering degree. I actually ran, I was running this very large process plant, manufacturing plant early in my career. And then I decided I really wanted to be in the front end of the business with sales and marketing. I like talking to people and was given an opportunity to run a worldwide product management group and jumped on that and found what I love to do, which is really get close to the customer, work with the sales team. And then I actually had a little stint in investment banking. I have one of those careers where I started as an engineer, did some investment banking, became a chief operating officer at one point, and then really settled into marketing and with my sales partners, helped close some big deals around Fortune 500 companies like Walmart and Home Depot. And with a fintech company that I was working with. And, but now I think I've settled into what I really love to do, which is marketing and B2B SaaS marketing in particular. Yeah. And those jumps, 
I talked to some folks who go, I had an intentional plan where I wanted to touch all the bases. And I am personally not one of those people. I've been more just, I see an opportunity, I just take it, but I had no plan at all. And so I'm like the anti-goal setter. And I know everybody's going to say, hey, you got to write down your goals or you're never going to reach them. And it's just not my shtick. I try to keep open to opportunities. Was that your kind of journey there? Or was it like, hey, I wrote a plan or yeah. you look back, you kind of go, did it have a reason? Or was it just like serendipity and somebody who had a good personality and skills and you took it? Yeah, I don't think I planned it that way. I can tell you being heavily influenced by two engineering parents, I was destined to go get an engineering degree and I loved it. And I'm a very analytical person when it comes to data and I geek out on that a little bit. But I was opportunistic, it's true. And the investment banking opportunity was something like, I was like, wow, this is really, how different can you be from B2B SaaS marketing, investment banking, M&A work, selling and helping to do fundraising. And really enjoyed that, but then ultimately recognized that I still wanted to be with people and interact and be much more on the front end. And was given an opportunity to be an operating officer because I chief operating officer. I had skill sets around aligning people and bringing people together and sharing a vision. And I'm very good at communicating the big picture. So that was great for me as well. And I've actually used those skills as a chief marketing officer. And my current observation is that the CMO seems to be much more than just marketing. We are the glue that helps bring sales and product together, that helps align the CEO and the CFO. We're in there looking at the numbers and making sure that we've got our targets and we're growing in the way. And I tend to find that the marketing leaders in my circles are in the center of their leadership teams as that glue. And it's a great place to be. I love it personally. It's very satisfying to bring people together and align and agree on the goal and go after it. I have also observed that integrator type of thing coalescing into, there used to be chief strategy officers and far more focus on CIOs. And you see a lot of that now collapsing into the background and becoming the smaller leadership set that integrates all those things. I think that CMO very often captures that sometimes like in, in key structures, but yeah, I think that a lot of that has to do with, tell me if you've experienced this, but the reconciliation of just somebody needs to be really focused on revenue. And in fact, we can call that what we want. And some people call it chief revenue officer and marketing and sales rolls up or for the strategy and everything. But it's like, maybe finally a focus on businesses need to make some money here. But I think in the next few years, because of the macro environment, that will become more and more prescient. Yeah, I think... So I definitely advocate having marketing and revenue sit together side by side. I don't think it's healthy to have marketing reporting into revenue because a company, a company is so much, yes, it's all, it is all about revenue for sure. There's no question, but you have to build trust. You have to build a brand. What do you stand for? What are your values? And those are things that salespeople, they totally appreciate, but they don't want to think about that necessarily. And that's why I advocate that the two sit side by side because and be partners on the team instead of reporting, having marketing reporting into revenue. But I know that's a 
controversial topic these days. Oh, I know. I get all types. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that one another interesting thing over the, even just the last few years that we've been doing this is the evolution of what there wasn't such a thing as a Marcom function and Marcom is a thing now. And if you really look at that, it's before we only could have communicated on one channel, you either made a press release or you didn't. And now, now the proliferation of communication channels, both internally and externally, because now everybody has a device in their pocket and can communicate on behalf of your brand accidentally or not in every channel, you go, that's really interesting because that's a very human cultural brand aligned type of thing that just, that didn't exist. That was actually impossible some years ago. And now marketing has to own communications across 50 different channels times X number of employees. And I think that is a fascinating thing. Do you have to deal with that too? Yeah. And that's a good, another good point about the role of the chief marketing officer is we're also partnering with the HR people, right? And for example, and diversity and equity is of huge importance for those companies that are really progressively thinking about building diversity into their culture, leverage the marketing leader to help create that image and those values and embed those values into the company. It's not something that the CHRO can just do by herself or himself. It has to be a full effort, a change management effort. And that's how I see marketing is a change management organization, if you will, whether it's our customers and our prospects that we're trying to create a need within their world, like you need this solution, or whether it's with employees where you're trying to build a cultural values, we are trying to change the way people think and work in a positive direction. So yeah, I think it's really interesting how marketing has to play all of those different facets. It's not just revenue. Absolutely. And so we talked also off mic, we're both parents and like to talk about like real life things where you go, it isn't just work-life balance anymore. And it's just like, where and how does it all fit together in this changing world of we're all home and there's people you need to pick up and you want to go watch games and you have like life responsibilities that are no longer removed from work. And I love talking to moms about this because I spent a lot of time as like a solo dad, which is basically like being a mom in the context, but I don't get to play along in those conversations as much because it's just whatever. Talk about diversity and inclusion. It's like, I'm not invited to the mom club. So I hope you don't mind me asking those questions, but in senior leadership that I think is so interesting and different now. Yeah, I would say, I think I've, I definitely personally have felt a change in culture in the last 10 years about being a mother and a parent. I think that we in the United States have done a really good job of creating more balance for women. Now we still, and fathers equally so, there's a lot of dads that are taking on the traditional responsibilities that moms had 20 years ago. And I think that thankfully in the United States, we've been able to move the needle so there is more work-life balance. However, I would say after COVID, for me personally, it's like, when do you shut down the laptop? And it was almost never. But yeah, I was going to go pick up my kids from school and I'm having conference calls while I'm driving them to high school and in meetings. And I'm like, kids, just be quiet in the back of the car because 
I'm going to take a call. So all of those interesting things that we used to separate, separate by going into the office, I personally have found that they've been merged into one and it makes it a little difficult, but I think for me personally, it also gives me more flexibility. I feel like we have evolved as a society so that moms have a lot more balance and that they have a lot more flexibility. Now we're not there yet. Obviously there's still a lot to do for both moms and dads in the workplace, but personally I've seen a lot of flexibility, especially in the last couple of years. It was certainly a forced evolution quite faster than I think anybody. And a lot of us are clinging on to the good parts of that and then going, oh, I do miss a little bit of (laughs) the encapsulation or ability to go, I was at work, now I'm not at work. And how and where like the self-discipline necessary to draw good boundaries. It's probably just good mental health for all of us. But I have noticed that to be a thing as well. And you actually only get, especially if you have parent sort of dynamics with like kids' school schedule, you just realize, wow, my day just got meaningfully shorter. And now how do I deal with that and prioritize and all these things, none of which is my strong area. So how do you deal with that? It's funny because I use my calendar 10 times more than I did maybe five years ago. I do have everything scheduled on my calendar everything like because I just have to live by that otherwise I do tend to overwork not that's a bad thing so I put in when I'm going to exercise I put in my making sure I'm visiting my family or calling my friends or going out to dinner or really like if you look at my calendar it's booked from the from morning to end intentionally in advance so that I it helps me create a sense of accomplishment as well and keeps me balanced, if you will. I guess that's the right word to use because I do plan my play and I plan my work and I make sure that all of those things are included in my calendar. And I think that's very helpful for me in the last couple of years, especially with COVID. And I think like everybody went through that time where we all were just sitting at our desks at home. I was probably on my desk 18 hours a day and I've created a little bit more normalcy now because I do have this schedule. Yeah, I admire people that have that skill, and it's something that I've continued to work on. But I have noticed personally that I have the bad habit of if I have a meeting with you or I have a dentist appointment or whatever, I'm going to show up. I'll be on time and I will follow it. But if I book the time for me to do something like work out or whatever, I'll just plow right through that. And I haven't found a particularly useful tool. I need a cattle prod or something that the calendar actually attacks me if I don't follow what's on it. I so see a new idea, a, business a new idea. business, yeah. new business. Right. Idea. I need a collar att- attached to my thing that's going to shock me. Alexa can be a real help in that regard. Right. Get up, move. Time to go to the gym, Ledge. Time to go to the gym. (laughs) Yeah. But I shouldn't be able to turn it off. It's like the old alarm clock across the room. Very cool. Very cool. I appreciate that share because I think everybody had to deal with so much change in the last few years and do look to, I think, leaders to demonstrate that. And that like, no matter what, you're out there in front of it. And somebody that works for your organization needs to know that also. And I think that's part of that communicating culture as well of, as of whatever firm you're in. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And in fact, that's something I look for when I'm looking at companies is how healthy is the CEO? 
or the leadership team, are they, do they, do they do, what do they like to do outside of work? That's one of my questions when I'm being interviewed for a role. Like I want to be in a company that has some balance. Now I am a workaholic and I'm the first to admit it, but I also think there's huge value in unplugging and recharging your batteries. You don't think after being in front of your laptop for 14 hours, you have to get outside, go for a walk. And it's just a fact of how our brains function. We really do need to give ourselves that downtime so that we can be more creative when we get back into the work mode. It's something I look for in a company. And it's something I try to reinforce as well, that it's okay to have downtime and make sure you do exercise and you do whatever you need to do to be with your family and your friends and get some balance. I'm looking at the dark circles under my eyes in this <laughs> video and I'm just wondering, oh, she probably wouldn't want to work for me. I have found, yeah, the same thing. I, I think that I don't know if I'm more attuned to it just because I'm getting older, wiser, and more bald, but I never thought about those things before. And now I will actually had a call last night with a collaborating executive and it was just, I really appreciate your good attitude, like that you actually take time, you take care of yourself and like it shows in your work and thank you for doing that. And I wonder if that's just me finally evolving from, oh, I can no longer do this 60 hour a week thing because I'm just older. Or if maybe kinder, gentler work environment is actually proliferating. Yeah, I think society is recognizing the importance of wellness in the workplace and so I don't think it's just you getting older. I do think we are evolving the way we think about productivity. And we there's so many experts out there about productivity and, and how do you get the most out of people. And sleep is another big area. I'm sure you've read the book, Why We Sleep, or I've read it, and it's incredible. And if you haven't read it out there, I recommend everybody read it. But it's so important to get sleep. And not just any, not six hours, but there's so much scientific evidence out there about getting seven to nine hours of sleep and the long-term impact it has on your mental health. And so I think as a country, we're learning and growing and it's not just you and I getting older and thinking that balance is important. I think we all are learning. And I think young people are also teaching us and driving that importance. I know a lot of people that younger people at our company are just yeah, I'm taking my vacation and I'm going to go spend a week and sure, I'll bring my laptop, but don't count on me being ready for this meeting or whatever. And that's good. I think that's healthy pushback. People need to unplug and rejuvenate in order to be more productive. And the interesting thing is that it, that, at least as far as we can tell from the literature, is that it does make more productivity, which is what everybody's asking for now. And maybe it wasn't all about pool tables and chef made meals so you can stay at the office for 20 hours. What if we just actually just worked 30 good hours and that we had high expectations for ourselves and then just bugged out and turned it off? So I love personally the four day work week or the people that are experimenting around the edges of that. If you've ever had a Friday where you don't have to work, it's just, wow, like what a remarkable difference. And I probably would have, even in working for myself, I would have sat around and probably had a pretty crappy output that day anyway. Yeah. Yeah. At One Health, we have a, there's a policy of one day a month 
off with either it's a federal holiday or you get one day off as a company holiday. So they really have tried to build in that time off for people. And it's been really productive. Everybody at the company works extremely long hours and hard and but is also comes into work with a great smile on their face a lot of energy and having that extra time off during the month really does help good i always ask everybody before we wrap put your future hat on for just two two three years in the windshield up in front of you and you know what for the other leaders of b2b like what from your perspective must be on your radar the next two, three years. I'm not talking super futurist here, but I do find that I get a variety of answers. And I think that this one's useful. What do people have to be thinking about that you maybe know about and they don't? Great question. And I would say from a marketing standpoint, the techniques that we're all doing, we're all doing the same thing. We're all doing blogs, podcasts, videos. So we have to move into a, an era where we connect on an emotional level with individuals. And that's hard in B2B, like to connect with people individually and create a feeling in them. And a company that I previously worked for, XIQ, is doing a new category of selling called personality-driven sales and marketing, where they actually predict the personality profile of the people that you're trying to engage. And it's a, it's an amazing product. And if people don't know about it, I'd highly recommend you learn a little bit more about it because it helps open up these conversations and give salespeople some insight into what kind of personality do you have versus Leela and how do you best interact with those people? So I think that in the next three years, two to three years, we have to learn how to connect emotionally with our prospects. I mean, I know everybody says personalize. Personalize is not the same as emotional connection. Being personalized, putting your name, adjusting photos, understanding what they like to buy, that's not, that's personalization. That's not an emotional connection. And I think that's what we have to figure out is how do we create those emotional connections? That's why you're seeing this rise of communities, right? There's so many communities happening right now. And I think in a few years, even communities are going to have a hard time because communities are getting bigger and bigger. And it's that that one-to-one -one that's getting lost again. And in that same vein, I would say, I think really connecting more deeply with your customers. There's a big wave right now of connecting with your customers and helping your customers be your best marketing advocates. And I think that's gonna, we're gonna see a lot of that in the next couple of years. Exciting stuff. I think if everybody kept on their radar, all the things that I've come up with this question, they would be completely overwhelmed and it wouldn't be different than now. So everybody choose your radar carefully because they're not all applicable. And now we probably have several hundred of them. Yeah. Do you have that on a blog someplace? Um, I should, yeah. you know, that's always the intention, right? From the exactly right from the marketing lens is if you ask the same question every, at least once every time you can go back and capture them all. And the answer is that has not happened, but that was the intention. And maybe someday that'll be a good book. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be a great book. Leela, thank you for coming out. Super cool conversation. Love, love the insights. Love to hear your story. If folks are resonating and want to get in touch, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Leela Gill. I think there's only one of me out there. So come find me and connect with me out there. And I well really, branded. Yes, yeah. that's right. Well branded. 
And yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to learn a little bit more about my story. Thank you, Ledge. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.